So, uh, last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus introducing the church. And it started because in Mark chapter 8, Jesus took a survey. He said to his disciples, hey, tell me what the word on the streets is. Who do people say that I am? And they gave him the answer, but then he turned it very personal. He said, looking right at the apostles, he said, no, who do you say that I am? And it was in that moment that Peter answered and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, Paul's right there. True or false? Okay, that's true. Super true. Exactly true. And it prompts Jesus to say back to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I just want to say, as we open the scriptures this morning and look at it together, we need the Spirit of God to do for us what Jesus says the Father did for Peter. When we were singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We're acknowledging that the truth of the scripture is supernatural and our minds are natural. Apart from the spirit of God opening truth to us, we won't get it. We'll understand the words, but we won't understand the truth of God unless the spirit of God does for us what, we did, what he did for Peter. So that wasn't just a song to sing. That was a, that was a truth for us to declare that we are hungry to learn from him. Every time I open the scriptures, it's not just, let me see what it says. It's, God, I need you to give me supernatural insight. As we open the scriptures this morning, I want us to just pause. We don't always do this, and and probably we should. We'll just pause and say together, God, we need you to do for us what you did for Peter, to open your truth to our minds and our minds to your truth. So would you just bow quietly there in your seat in this auditorium over in South? Just bow with me. And and would you quietly there before the Lord invite him to be your teacher, to open the scriptures to your heart, to your mind, and your mind and your heart to the scriptures. Lord, as we declared that song, what rung in my own heart was, that's a prayer you want to answer. This is a prayer you want to answer. You want us to understand. So we ask, Lord, that you would do that by your grace, for your glory, and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Jesus says to him, my father revealed that to you, he then introduces the church in Matthew 16. He says, I also say to you, speaking to Peter, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So he brings some objects to mind. First object, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And it's, it's the reminder to us that the rock that the church is built on is Jesus. He is the foundation of the church. This is review from two weeks ago. Yes, the apostles as first proclaimers of that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. They laid the foundation, but the layer of the foundation is different than the foundation. The foundation is Jesus. Those who laid the foundation are the apostles. He says, upon this rock, and then last week we looked at five words, I will build... 
I will build. There's many instruments used in building. The hammer maybe be in the core, but there's the saw, the level, the tape measure, the screwdriver. There's all sorts of instruments. But Jesus said, it's my church and I will build it. But here's the deal. When we think building, we think building. But when Jesus says, I'll build my church, he's talking about people and specifically the people who belong to him. So when we talk church, get it in, let's get it into the fabric of our thinking. Don't think facility. Don't think location. Think people. Because Jesus said, my church is not a building. My church is people. And I will build my people. And here's what we highlighted last week, that he builds people through people. People building is simply another expression for what the New Testament calls disciple making. And here's how it happened. Look up here if you would. Jesus said, I'm going to build upon this rock. I'm going to build my church. And I want you guys to go teach everything that I have taught you. And then he sent them out. And so they did what? Everything that Jesus imparted to them, they, they shared with others who were intended to do what? To receive it from them and impart it to others and receive it from them and impart it to others. Generation after generation after generation after generation, people after people after people, this is the process of people building. And it began with Jesus who is the church, who is the rock of the church, and he imparted to the apostles who imparted to others, who imparted to others, who imparted to others. Jesus builds his church people through people. We visualized it last week like this. You receive, you give. They receive, they give. They receive, they give. But the church, the people, sometimes at Christian Family Chapel, they receive and the gears get jammed and we become people who receive and receive and receive and receive and never impart. Jesus said he's going to do it through people. I'd like for us to be a part, not get passed by because he's going to do it but he's imparted so that we would impart. I asked you last week, I want to ask you this morning, who are the people you are building into? Because someone's built truth into you, yes? Yes? A little bit or a lot? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of truth that's been built into a lot of you. Some of you are brand new, it's a little bit. But, but I got to tell you, the, what makes me so filled with joy is when I see people going, oh, I didn't go repeat your sermon, but I took truth and I shared it at work. I, I, I wrote this blog. I tweeted out something because it was imparted to me and I'm going to impart it somehow. I, I simply have started a process where I listen to you on Sunday and then I get two or three people together and we just go through it. I'm imparting. I'm not, it's not getting stuck here. That's, that's the church, folks. We think, oh, it's a building. We all come together, sing some songs, listen to somebody, yak, 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 and then go home. That is not the church. 
That's the way it looks today. That is not what Jesus had in mind. What Jesus had in mind is people receiving truth and imparting it to other people who receive it and impart it to other people. We gotta get our gears unstuck. I'm gonna build it upon the rock of Jesus. But then he gives a new picture. Verse 19, are you in Matthew 16? And then he gives a picture, a third object. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now we read those verses and we go, oh yeah, Holy Spirit, I really need some help on that one because I don't know what I was talking about. But it's not that complicated. Anybody ever give you keys? That's kind of a fun moment, isn't it? Because what do keys give you? Authority, right? You don't just, no, a door gives you access. Keys give you authority to go, up. Oh, can't come in, locked. Or unlocked. Authority, you can come in. The, the keys, are keys not authority, folks? Yeah. Do you not, if you're over 16, remember, was there a moment where your parents went, here's the keys, sweet. That was authority. I'm going to get behind the wheel. I'm going to drive. So when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I'm giving you the keys. Whoa, that's big stuff. So. Can I say you, or can I say you? Can I? Yes, I can say you singular, or you plural. Which is it? I give you the keys. Is he saying you singular, or you plural? (laughs) I don't know. Well, if you go back and you look at the original, singular. Who's he talking to now? Ah, he is actually saying, not to James, not to John. Hey, Peter, here's the keys, dude, to the kingdom. Wow. Hold on to those babies. Yeah, he literally gave Peter the key. So what in the world does that mean? So to show you, I'm going to ask you to do something really, really weird this morning. Every other morning I say, if you don't have a Bible, look up here. But if you have a Bible, look in your Bible. This morning, if you have a Bible, don't look at it. What? Here's why. Because we are literally going to look at the keys. By the way, is keys singular or plural? Yeah, that's not a hard one. It's just some of you got the last one wrong, and so I needed to give you a freebie. Okay. (laughs) Keys is plural. Right? And so we don't know, it was it two or 14? We just know it was more than one. I actually think, and I'll show you why, I think it was three keys. I think, not literally, physically, but I think he was referencing three keys uniquely given to him. And we're going to see it in three scenes, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10. Last week, we didn't get five words into our 40 minutes. So if we try and read three chapters, we're not going to get through it. So I'm going to highlight some verses So I don't really like saying this. This doesn't apply to next week. But just follow the scripture I show you, okay? And then go home and read to your heart's delight, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and fill it all in for yourself, okay? Can you do that? If you can't, I understand. The pastor told me not to read my Bible. Just just for like 
20 more minutes, okay? Okay, so first scene, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they, that's the disciples, were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterances. Tongues that they didn't know, but they were speaking. And people thought they were drunk, but Peter says, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Let what be known to you? What's he going to say for the next 20 verses or so? The gospel, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And you crucified him. Peter preaches first sermon, day of Pentecost. And it says, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They, they felt the guilt to the core. And they said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, here's what you need to do. Repent, change your mind. Change your mind from thinking that because of your Jewish heritage, you're already right with God. Change your mind in thinking the keeping of the law and the performing of your own righteousness, you're already right with God. Change your mind from thinking that I can do enough good to counterbalance the bad that I've done and maybe tip the scales in my... Change, repent. Change your mind and think differently. Know this, that each of... Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Believe in him and what he has done for you on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and you will, what will happen? You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look look up here. Don't miss this. This is brand new. Up until this time, the Spirit of God was reserved for a select few for an amount of time for a specific appointment. The Spirit of God was not given to all. But in this moment, Peter declares in Jerusalem, if you believe in the Lord Jesus and trust in him, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Every single one who believes receives the Holy Spirit. And the church is born. Thousands. And guess what? Then he preaches again, and thousands more. But it also says, and people began to declare and to share with one another. And so the church was growing, being added to it every single day. More people were being born again, trusting in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. That's what was happening. Peter had taken out a key and put it in the Jewish door and unlocked the door and said, all who believe will receive the Spirit. That's the first key. It's a unlocking of the coming of the Holy Spirit to the Jews. First key. Let me show you why I think there's three. If you go to Acts chapter 8, the end of chapter 7 ends with Stephen being stoned to death for his faith. And Acts chapter 8 begins, Saul, who later know as Paul, was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, the death of Stephen, a great persecution began against the church, not building, 
people who belonged to Christ in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea now and where? Now they've gone into Judea, from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. What's that tell you? Where'd the apostles stay? They stayed in Jerusalem. But so all those, many of those who had placed faith in Christ, had the Holy Spirit in them, are now spread out. And you know what they did? Verse 4, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. See, preaching the word was far more than just the apostles. So we have non-apostles who are now, according to the text, where? In Samaria, preaching the word. Here's what happens. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. So Philip is one of those who got scattered from Jerusalem, ends up in Samaria, preaching the gospel, and people are doing what? Believing, repenting, repenting and being baptized. But here's the deal. Now, when the apostles, who are still back in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So they had believed and been baptized, but the Spirit had not come on them yet. Why not? Who had the keys? Who had Jesus given them to? Peter. So when they heard they had believed, who'd they send for? (laughs) Peter. John comes with him. Peter shows up. And what's he do? He unlocks the door to the gospel that any and all who believe in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins and will receive the Holy Spirit. What's the difference between Jewish people and Samaritans? Well, in its roughest terms, Samaritans are half-breeds. They're, they're half-Jewish, only half-Jewish. And so Jews were not at all convinced that what was open to them would be open to Samaritans. So Peter was given I'm going to say a second. He was given a key that opened the gospel. That's not my idea. This is what it says right here in Acts 8, right? This is simply Jesus, or excuse me, Peter fulfilling the keys that Jesus had given to him. One more key, Acts 10. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. I said it to you, didn't show you the blank. He came, first key to the Jews, second key to the Samaritans. The gospel crossing yet another a new cultural barrier. Third key, Acts 10, we get introduced to a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. So Cornelius was a Gentile. Now I said this on Thursday night and some guy said after me afterwards, you know, I'm not sure. Who's a Gentile? So let me make it easy for you. If you're not Jewish... Then you're a Gentile, okay? It's just lots of us are Gentiles. We just never thought of us, ourselves that way. In the same way, I actually didn't know I was a Yankee till I came south. 
I never knew that. And then people told me like, man, you're a Yankee. And then they've added a few words in front of that at times. I didn't know that. I was, I just didn't know it. So you may go, oh, when the Bible talks about Gentiles, that's, yeah, you're a Gentile. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Cornelius is a Gentile. Here's what we learn about. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people, even though he wasn't Jewish, and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who just came in and said to him, Cornelius, <laughs> fixing his eyes on him, being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Cornelius, no idea who Peter is, just as told by the Lord, go send for him. So he does. The next day, while they're going to get Peter in Joppa, Peter, Acts 10 tells us, is at lunchtime. He wants to do prayer, but he's hungry. <laughs> Ever been there? trying to pray, but you're still hungry. So this text says he falls into a trance. And in this trance, classic guy dream, he sees this sheet come down filled with every sort of animal. And when he sees all these animals, a voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. (laughs) So wheat, barbecue anything you want. And you know what Peter says? (laughs) By no means, Lord which is an oxy, that that makes no sense, by the way. We'll talk about that next week. To say, by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. You know what the voice says back? What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. In other words, that's what I'm telling you. It's not unclean. Eat it. No, I've never eaten anything unclean. It's not unclean. You know how how many times this happened? Three and then he goes on and says, now Peter was greatly perplexed in his mind as to what the vision, what? See, this is you and I. God makes something so clear to us and we go, I'm still so confused. Which means what? I'm not confused, I just don't really like it. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, they show up. He goes down, they go, here's what happened, you need to come with us, and, and he goes. He gets to Cornelius' house. Cornelius falls down, worship him. He grabs him by his shoulders and says, stand up, I'm just a man. And then Cornelius tells him, here's what appeared to me. Here's what uh, was said to me. And, and every once in a while, I love it, I can see a light bulb come on in your head. That's what happens for Peter. He says, boing, after Cornelius tells him what's going on, he says, Oh, I most certainly understand now. I didn't get it before. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. That whole dream thing, I was thinking eating animals. But actually, God was talking about light coming on. God was preparing me to think differently about people, specifically Gentiles, because Peter's like, I'm not even supposed to be in your house. You people are like unclean. But I'm, oh, uh, oh. And and I put dot, 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 because you know what comes out of his mouth next? You you should know. Jesus Christ, son of the living God. He begins to share the gospel. With whom? Gentiles. (laughs) 
While Peter's still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, you know what that means? Jewish people. (laughs) Who came with Peter were amazed. I cut the verse in half. Why? Amazed because... Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the, yeah, to most of you, on Yankees. (laughs) What? (laughs) It's been poured out on the Gentiles. No way. Unclean. They're amazed. Peter's amazed. He literally has to go back to Jerusalem and go, okay, the the circuits of our mind are like blowing. But here's what happened. And he tells them exactly what happened. And he concludes with this. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, Jewish, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Isn't that awesome? Peter said, I got there. I didn't really know what was up, but then I started connecting the dots, started preaching the gospel, and I realized (laughs) I was here to unlock the door to whom? To the Gentiles. See, he unlocked the coming of the Holy Spirit. First key to whom? The Jews. Second key, next cultural Samaritans, and then to the, to the Gentiles. Do you see it? See, for, uh, it's so obvious to me. But I live so long without anybody ever really being able to say, no, just see it unfold in the book of Acts. Here's Peter unlocking, uniquely unlocking the doors. Huh. It, it, it seems to me it would have been so much better if Jesus would have said, I want you to go and preach the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. <laughs> he did, if you're not, why are they laughing? He said that exactly. Acts chapter one, verse eight, the whole book is launched on and this progression is gonna happen. And the fulfillment was Peter taking the keys that Jesus had given to him in Matthew 16 and unlocking each door. Now, don't miss this. For every little village, every little town, well, first of all, what was Peter doing when he showed up? Why was, what was Peter doing with the keys? Yeah, he was unlocking, but before he unlocked in Samaria, why did he go there? Can you figure it out? Why, why would he go there? Remember who was giving them to him right after he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I think Peter's given the keys, and I think Peter's role is simply one of confirming that that which had been preached was the true gospel of grace because there's always error all around us. There's always false gospels. And the authority Peter had was to confirm. Now, he spoke it in Jerusalem. And he spoke it in Cornelius' house. He had to go to the Samaritans to unlock the door, but he had to go and listen and go, tell me what you Philip said. Tell me what you're believing. So did Peter have to go to every village, every city, every place? Folks, 
No. In, in fact, Acts 9 just gives us this little glimpse of after Samaria had been opened up. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. In other words, Peter had a unique God-given role to open it up to the Jews. But then lots of people in Jerusalem declared and were born again. And Peter was given a, a God-given role of opening it up to Samaria. But then it continued to grow apart from him. You see what I'm saying? It's a little, the keys were a little bit like that one-time code the bank sends you and says, use it in 10 minutes or it's no good anymore. <laughs> it's like one key, okay, that, you'll need that key anymore. One key, Samaritans, don't need that one anymore. Final key, Gentiles. I've opened it up. Now it's going to grow. You see, the work of laying the foundation, just to reinforce what we said first week, the work of laying the foundation, which is proclaiming the person and work of Jesus, that's laying the foundation. That work was shared by all the apostles. There were churches begun in many places where Peter never went after the door had been unlocked. That's why Peter didn't have to show up in Jacksonville. Seriously. <laughs> because the door had already been unlocked. <laughs> and this is what I hope you're capturing. <laughs> and we're building today, as has been built into us, as has been built into them, as had been built into them, all the way back to the apostles who had been built into by Jesus, what a heritage we share in of building. It came with this promise. Whatever you, Peter, bind on earth, now watch this, shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been, have been loosed in heaven. Do you get the correct order there? People turn this around and they make it say all sorts of things that Peter's making something happen in heaven. He's not making something happen in heaven. It's already have been in heaven. Where is he making it happen? On earth. Don't be confused in this. His authority was not to get something to do on earth so that heaven would follow. His authority was what's already happened in heaven will be what I'll participate on in earth. He's not making something happen in heaven. He's participating in the will of God, the will of heaven. The, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the exact same thing. I believe Matthew writes kingdom of heaven almost always instead of kingdom of God because he wrote to Jewish people and Jewish people didn't write or speak the name of God. So they use something equivalent that they did, could write, would write, kingdom of heaven, same as kingdom of God. He was participating in the will of God, the will of heaven happening on earth. You see that? His authority was not to say something, yes, on earth, and then heaven goes, oh, okay, we'll go with that one. No, it's already what's been declared to be the will of God, and his authority is to get in line with it and participate in making it happen. It's, it's when Jesus, excuse me, when the disciples said, hey, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? He said, yeah. 
Here, pray like this. Our Father who's in heaven, your name's holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Peter is simply the answer to the prayer that Jesus had taught them to pray. Now, can I make it phenomenally personal to us? Because thus far, the you has always been Peter. Go to Matthew 18, two chapters later. And Jesus in Matthew 18, as you'll see very clearly, is not now giving Peter or even the apostles only instruction. He is giving instruction for all who are in his church and how they should handle sin. Verse 15 of Matthew 18. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Now just pause and just make sure you heard what I just said. Is this for Peter only? No, of course. Is this for the apostles only? No, this is for, as the church, the people of God function going forward. Here's how I want you to to relate. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he won't listen to you privately, go in in a small group. And if he refuses to listen to even that small group, tell it to the people who belong to Jesus, the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the people who belong to Jesus, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In the language of 1 Corinthians 5, do not even associate with them. Now, I hope I have your ears right now. On what authority would you go privately? On what authority would you go as a small group to confront a brother in sin? On what authority would we as elders stand and declare to the people of God an individual in sin? On what authority? Have you peeked to the next verse? Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. What? I thought that was Matthew 16, 19. It is. It's the, did, you, did you notice to escape you? That's the exact language spoken specifically to Peter, which is now spoken to the entire People of God who belong to Jesus to say, this is your authority. Not what you think, not your preference, but by the same authority that Peter did what he did, he was simply saying the will of heaven, the will of God happening on earth. That is now the privileged participation for every single one of you with whom the Holy Spirit lives. 
Peter wasn't just going, oh, I'm going to make something happen on earth and heaven will agree. He was going, no, I know what the will of heaven is. It's revealed in the scriptures. And I'm going to declare that all have sinned and are under the judgment of God, but whoever would believe in him. So what's ever bound in heaven is bound on earth. Whatever's loosed in heaven, loosed on earth. And folks, you and I are called to live with that same authority, not what we decide. See, the authority for me to go to another brother is not, well, in my opinion, I think that you need to stop this. What is it? No, according to the word of God, the way you are treating your spouse is not what the scripture says. You don't want to listen to you? Then two or three, you go together and you go, look, we're the people of God. Our authority, the revealed will of heaven, the revealed will of God is that, that you would be living this way and you agree you're, you're living the opposite way, yes? Yes. We're calling you to repent. Now, how would you have the authority to declare if someone repented that they'd be forgiven? On what authority would you say they're forgiven? Same authority. Because the scripture declares if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse you, forgive you. You see what I'm saying to us? When Jesus introduced the church, He said, there's a rock that it's going to be built upon, and it's me. And I'm going to build my church through people with this authority. The keys were uniquely given to Peter. They've been used. The gospel's been opened. This authority remains for every single one of us. The exact words he spoke to Peter, he's spoken to every born-again, Holy Spirit-indwelling Christ follower. That you, upon his authority, would be a part of building his church. Has the word been built into you? And go build it into somebody else. So that as the word is built into them, they go build it into somebody else. You see it? That's the church, folks. It's Jesus doing his work through his word. Did you capture that? I can't. I mean, that's about as good as it gets when it comes to the church. It's Jesus doing his work, building people through people, through his word. It can't, I just got to keep saying it. This is why we talk so much at the chapel about the authority of the word of God. It's how the church is built. It's why week in and week out, you're not going to hear preferences. You're not going to hear opinions. You're going to hear the scriptures taught. But folks, don't get your gears stuck. Receive it. 
told Mac here in third hour, I told him a couple weeks ago, one of the things I appreciate so much about him is he regularly, I know, he takes stuff that he's received and gives it away. Brian, I've seen you do the same thing. Allison, I've seen you do the same thing. Howdy, you've done it. Now, I'm not naming everybody. The rest of you go, what about me? <laughs> That's the question. Are you, are you doing, are you taking, are you just receiving? The church is Jesus building his authority. Happens, starts in the home. Don't forget your spouse. Don't forget your kids. It starts in the home. Doesn't stop there. That's where it starts. So, Father, thank you for giving us the spirit so that we could understand the truth this morning. And I would simply ask of you that those who have received it this morning would go share it and build others that we would have the privileged participation in the building of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you are going, you didn't give the last blank. I did. I just didn't show you the slide. I said this like 17 times. The same privileged participation is established to all believers in the church to participate in the will of God happening on earth. It's not just for Peter. So if you're visiting with us, love to greet you at the guest reception. If we can pray for you, one of our greatest privileges, always men and women available for prayer. Thanks for being here this morning. Next week, look forward to teaching the scriptures again and seeing you a little bit earlier. I'm going to tell Fred. All right, talk to you later.